Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this pre-recorded podcast, you are listening to the Sports Cave presented by Retro Sports Network. I'm your host, Robbie Clark, along with my co-host, Kyle Galuli. Kyle, how are we doing? Uh, not bad. A long, long day of work, but can't complain. Well, of course, it is a Thursday. And what sucked was I woke up this morning and thought I was a Friday. And what sucks even worse mm. is in my 26-year life, Never have I ever dealt. I don't know if you could see it. Oh, there it is. I think poison ivy. Ooh, I've not ever never had it. Have I ever? And I think you see pretty well here with the camera. Yeah, you see that? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that doesn't look fun. No, I never experienced such itch in my life, and I can't tell you how many times I'm applying things to get rid of this itch and it's just not working and it's spreading worse and I hate my life, but I don't know if I hate my life as much as Red Sox fans right now. Red Sox have lost their last two games in Fenway. They lost game five, nine to two, or excuse me, game four, nine to two and game five, nine to one. Let's talk about game four really quick because the big X factor. Why don't you why don't you uh dish it out, Kyle? Because you informed me that it was game four. You were correct over me. <laughs> but I'll give you the umpire's name, Laz Diaz. So I so I did not see this when it originally happened, but I've heard about it on Twitter and then I watched like the highlights and clips of it, where it's the I believe it's the top of the ninth inning with two outs. This is the top of the eighth or top of ninth inning, two outs. And there is a pitch by Avaldi, which looks definitely like a, it's a strike, and they call it a ball. And then the Astros proceed to then score seven runs with two outs, games over at that point. And I'm just seeing that and thinking, if the Astros end up winning this series, which currently they're up three-two in the series, going by last two games in Houston. That call is going to be talked about so much because you obviously you have no idea what's going to happen after Red Sox may win it ninth, Astros may win an extras, who knows? But that call is probably what changed the momentum of the series right there. Because even if you get one run in that scenario, let alone seven, that's momentum on momentum on momentum. They brought it into game five. And if I'm a Red Sox fan, I'd be beyond furious because there was upwards of 20 plus missed calls on balls and strikes according to the like the you know strike zone thing they always show you on TV. I mean that's that's really bad. You know, one which two, I got loaded up here on my phone of the zone and where he was incorrect. Yeah. yeah with a it's, lot it's just bad. With a yeah. lot. We're talking yeah, it, that's real bad. Play playoffs you can't have that. And people twenty one missed calls altogether. Twelve in Twelve yep. for the Red Sox and eleven for the Astros for calls that didn't help yeah. both teams. Yeah, people that want Robo Ums are going to like just say this, like just look at this game and be like, yeah. Now I obviously I believe we shouldn't because that to me that's just dumb. there's a lot of but, current you know, MLB players <laughs> and a lot of former MLB players and most notably CC Sabathia who went off. And if you want to listen to a good podcast. R2C2 with Brian Rucco and CC Sabathia is one of the better podcasts out there. Take a listen. CC went off. Um, and it's like what you said. It happened in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, 
two outs, runners on first and second. Evaldi to Castro, one to count strike is called a ball. And the Astros from there, you said scored seven runs in the top of the ninth, which yeah. <laughs> game over, which changed everything. And if you look at the worst missed calls, not one is for the Astros. They're all for the Red Sox. It all started in the bottom of the second with Raleigh to Schwarber. One out runners on second two to count strike is called a ball. Actually, well, that actually helped him out. Never mind. That one helped him out. But uh, Javier to J.D. Martinez, one out, runner on first, three, two count. Ball is called a strike. And then, oh, wait, no. They got they must have had this backwards. And excuse me. So I was right. The Schwarber one, I guess, did screw him over because strike is called ball. And no, wait. I'm having a little aneurysm right now because I'm trying to think of the moment with Evaldi because here it says strike is called a ball when it should have been strike three. So the Schwarber thing strike is called the ball helps Schwarber. The J.D. Martinez ball is called a strike did not help him. And the strike is called a ball for Evaldi did not help him. <laughs> so I, I got a little, I don't know what happened there. I had a mini aneurysm. Right well, there. we'll blame Forget it on the, on, on the poison ivy. I'll blame it on the poison ivy. I'll blame it on Laz Diaz. And I'll blame this on MLB because at the end of the year, every year, MLB is supposed to take all these different numbers that they have for every single umpire um, throughout the season and leave out which ones were not fit for the job. Laz Diaz clearly was not fit for the job. And they always leave out Angel Hernandez as well. And what I have to say to Red Sox fans about this uh, evolving no strike call is how do you think the Tampa Bay race felt when Kevin, the ball that Kevin Kiermaier hit should be hit. It should have been counted as a home run was counted as a ground rule double. That's the nature of the game. But, but devil's advocate though, that's one run and they lost by it. But so that they would have scored one run. Obviously you don't know what happens after that. That could have changed momentum. You never know, but they ultimately ended up losing by two. So they still would have lost by one. But again, it's like what you said. What if, what if, what if? Momentum. Yeah, that could, for all we know, that could have killed momentum. But just think about it. Like, you're looking at the scoring for this game four. So both teams scored in the first inning. Red Sox were up 2-1 after the first. No no scoring happens until the eighth inning when Altuve hits a home run. So the Astros tie it, you know, late. So it's, so, you know, momentum's trending in that direction. Then you have that no call, and I I haven't like seen it from like the normal camera angle. I've seen just from like the picture, and it clearly catches enough play by far and away catches enough play. And I would assume by the reaction of Red Sox fans, it's not too high, it's not too low. It's clearly a strike, and it's that's one of those ones where if it's more of like on the corner. You know, even though you'd like to call, you could understand a little bit more. This call is one of the most like brutal miscalls ever. Calls in the game. Just, just think about the, how much that could change. Not even that series, just potentially the winner of the World Series at that point. Because right then and there, like I said, if the Red Sox win that, you know that game, they're up. You know, they have three wins in the series. You know, potentially. So, I don't know. That's just it, it's just such a terrible miscall, and it makes. What me to me seems like the idiotic thing of having a robo ump more of a viable option when you miss not only that call, but like you said, what 21 calls he missed yep. throughout this throughout the game. I mean, dude, what are you doing? And it's not like this is some no name guy that's you know his first year, it's Las Diaz. 
Yeah, there's a bunch of umpires that yeah. are way out of their time, including people like Joe West, but they still have them now. The Red Sox also have to blame themselves because did you not get that call? You didn't, unfortunately. But the team with runners in scoring position that whole, whole game, they were 0 for 9, including Christian Arroyo, who hit a triple. And the amount of runners that were left on base throughout that game, 11. And the only reason they got the two runs was the one on, two outs, Bogart home run. And I'm assuming that either Kike Hernandez or Schwarber, who walked, was on first base. I didn't get a chance to watch the game. And that's not running score- runners in scoring position. So um, they didn't take advantage of the opportunity. The Astros did take advantage of the opportunity that Laz Diaz gave them. And from this point forward, going into the World Series, if Laz Diaz is to make it, which he shouldn't, but if he does, he should not be behind home plate. 21 missed calls in the playoffs is not tolerable by any stretch of the imagination at all. Rob Manfred, and I don't understand why they don't consider getting rid of some of these umpires. Like, why is Joe West in the league? The man's been in the league for, I believe, 40-plus years. He's almost like a celebrity time, at this point, it feels like. It kind of like. is. Like, Nelson Cruz at one yeah, of the All-Star games took a selfie with him because he's been in the business for so long. Angel yeah. Hernandez is known for literally playing with the players' emotions on purpose, getting into their heads to make them make the mistake so he can throw them out or do whatever the hell he wants to do. He's an instigator, and he should not be in the league. Yeah, Lance there's a comp- there's a compilation on YouTube. The worst home plate umpires from what current players say and former players say. He should be out. There's nothing wrong with bringing in new guys. Or at this point, I'm in favor with, at this point, Kyle, I wasn't. I thought for the sakes of the game and keeping that old school integrity, not bringing in robo-umps, but at this point, bring them in. Now, I'm not saying that the robots should make every single call and an umpire behind home plate has an earpiece in the hair. Oh, that was a strike. That's a ball. I think there should be some due diligence for the home plate umpire. I think in a way they can find a way where they get a certain amount of challenges. The The robot thing is already made up its mind, obviously, because we see it with the K-Zone. MLB will probably have a separate camera at every single ballpark where the K-Zone set up, and if they think it was strike three or ball four or whatever, they can make that challenge. And if you're not successful, you're unsuccessful. And you only get a certain amount because you're not going to get every single call right. But not only does that help teams, it puts a lot of pressure on the umpires to get their crap together, like Laz Diaz. Yeah. At the same point, if you ever seen the clip from when they first were trying out, I forgot, it was some in some minor league. Yeah, I forgot with double A, triple A, single A, whatever Probably it was. Single A, yeah. It looked so strange. The hat, it looks so unnatural because it literally, the ball would hit the glove. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this on a mic, but the ball would hit the glove like, like that. And then it'd be like two seconds like in an, a long two seconds, and then the ump would go strike ball, and it would look so yeah, it, unnatural. It, it shouldn't and be like strange. that. It's, it should be where they make the call, unless of course, like I, I mean, there's so many questions going into it because you also think of 
Angel Hernandez with the Tanaka no strike on the pitch that literally went right down the middle. Like it, like because Gary was setting up high and he had to go down lower to get the ball. It was still right down the middle and he didn't even call it a strike. I mean, there's so many things you have to consider at this there, point. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, to show how bad Angel Hernandez is, there's a compilation on YouTube. I actually showed it to my mom sometime uh, during, the, there's during many. summer. And, there's many. And, and CC Sabathia is in this one compilation. He just tears into Angel Hernandez. And he ain't kind about it either. He just destroys the guy. You think he's and the only it, one? Look at, know, listen, but, to, yeah. listen to Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill, there's a video out with Chase Headley arguing, and I believe it's Angel Hernandez, the umpire, and he's pointing at Chase Headley. And Paul's like, well, how come he could do that, but we can't do that, and we get reprimanded for this, that, yada, yada. Yeah, I mean, that that just, it gives them, like, way too much power. Because I can understand not allowing the players, you know, to talk smack and be disrespectful to the ums. Understandable. But there also needs to be lines for the ums where they can't do certain things. And it's almost like they got like a free reign, essentially, for the yeah. most part. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Your judge, jury, and executioner at that point, the guy does, the player, coach, base coach, whatever, doesn't do any or does something that you don't like, you can just toss them out of there. And yet you can do something that you should get in trouble for and essentially is no, like, no penalty for it. Like, okay, fans don't like you. Like, you think the MLB really cares about that? Clearly, they don't. No. If you see, if you got people like Laz Diaz, you know, umping LCS games mm-hmm. and just, you know, do, being absolutely terrible. But again, I feel like this has been going on for a while, you know, with multiple umps, like you said. But again, like with it being, to me, it's more of a Rob Manfred problem. You need to step up, have some cojones and make a, make a decision about it mm-hmm. instead of just sitting back and letting the, you know, the product get worsened by umps that are terrible. Right. Well, I mean, Rob Manfred also came up with a couple of, you know, the seven-inning doubleheader and the runner in second base and that damn pan out well. So I don't know, but we're going to move on from game four. We got to talk about game five because it clearly must have affected the Red Sox in some way because the Red Sox only managed to put up three hits to get one run while the Astros got nine runs on 11 hits. And when you look at this Red Sox lineup, the production is only coming out of essentially Kike Hernandez is batting 409. Devers batting 350, and then the next highest average is 267 by JD Martinez. Bogarts is batting below 250, and just about everybody else you could think of that lineup is batting below 250. Schorber 143. I'm sure one of like the best hit he's had against the Astros was that grand slam. Clearly, uh, Hunter Renfro is not even batting 100. He's at 071, and Verdugo and Arroyo are 235 apiece, and Vasquez their catchers at 214. And in this game, they they left four runners. It's um left out they were over forward runners in scoring position and the Astros are taking advantage and go figure uh w- one of the Facebook pages I follow that's um like the W WFAN of the Red Sox are the Astros cheating at Fenway Park like I, that <laughs> reputation is going to go everywhere and if it's and I'm not counting it out because um the White Sox relief pitcher was skeptical of it and with their past history you you, you have you have to take that into consideration because not to mention too when you look over the the commissioner's report when they were going over the 2017 incident all they said was the banging scheme stopped they could have found other ways to cheat back in 2018 2019 somehow maybe last year 2020 is shortened season but let's give them the benefit of the doubt they're away i don't know how they'd be able to cheat on the road they might be able to find a way that's to be determined but then 
let's get back to it. Runners in scoring position, the Astros went six for 15. That's almost 500, Kyle. That is exceptionally well. And when you look at their lineup, Altuve is not hitting that well. Let's go over the players that are producing for the Astros. Yuli Gurriel is batting 474. Jordan Alvarez went three for five in that game. I believe he had two long balls. Uh, he, had he, one had home, he had one home he had run one and, uh, and a double. And a double. And he a drove double. in the first three runs for the Astros. He had three hits and three RBIs. Alex Bregman, although his average is at 158, he walked twice. Michael Brantley, like I said, is batting 270. Or I don't know if I said it. He's batting 273. Correa is batting 286 and has played tremendous defense. And he, he had a higher average in game four. He went 0 for 4 in game five. Altuve had the game-tying home run in game four. And lose and not having Lance McCullers and not having Justin Verlander and have a 3-2 lead, and you have to finish the two games off now in Houston. The Red Sox season looks like it's coming to an abrupt end. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd say right now, if you tell me, hey, choose a team who's winning the ALCS at this point, I got to go with Houston. As much as I don't, much as I do not like them. Hey, they per- they performed in Boston. They were down 2-0 in the series, going into Boston. They came out of Boston up 3-2. Momentum completely in their favor. But you can't count out Boston yet. That is true. Excuse me, because the gentleman who is pitching tomorrow with, I believe it's Luis Garcia, gave up 500 runs. One of being the grand slam, and he got knocked. One inning, that was it. One yeah, might, might be one of those bullpen and that was games in Houston. That was in Houston. Well, it's not because they already named Garcia the starter for tomorrow's game. Well, I mean, maybe not the bullpen, but like he'll have a short, uh, short leash, I guess. So let's, put, I guess, put it that. You actually have a starting pitcher, but like if he gets in any kind of, you know, trouble like he did in that game, then they might be like, hey, get out. Well. The Astros bullpen is well rested because Valdez went eight strong innings with uh, Stanek finishing out the last inning uh, in a nine to one route. So the Astros with no McCullers and obviously no Verlander, and to go back to Houston with a three two lead and to take two out of three at Fenway, the Red Sox are in deep trouble and. Bogarts is going to have to step up and Hunter Renfro is going to have to set up, step up. You're going to have to get at least one hit to bat 071 in the postseason. After you had a tremendous regular season, you got to step it up. Yeah, I, I mean, figured that Keith Hernandez is going to continue to do his thing. I'm going to anticipate Devers to continue to do his thing, but Bogarts is not tolerable if you're a Red Sox fan. Oh, well, Steph, I mean, you just, it's not I mean, this, this team has, you know, so much potential being the Red Sox just to pop off at any moment that, you know, even if they are down three, two, you know, in the series, they got a puncher's chance when you have that much talent on their team and how they performed so far, you, you got a chance. It's all you need. Start, you need to start hitting. <laughs> they were doing that earlier in the series. They just completely stopped. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, while the Red Sox are facing a 3-2 deficit, we're recording here Thursday as the Dodgers and Braves will be playing um, while and later on at the conclusion of this recording. The Braves and the Dodgers at 8.08. Max Freed will be on the mound for the Braves, and Max Freed has been amazing so far this postseason and throughout the regular season for the Braves. And the Dodgers announced 
around 435 o'clock that they're going to use Joe Kelly. And it looks like they're going to go with the bullpen game, the bullpen pitching process throughout um, game five. Um, Let's be honest, the Dodgers are super lucky that they're still in it. Bellinger hit an amazing clutch three-run home run. destroyed that ball. It didn't even look like he was trying to get all of it, but he did get all of it. And Mookie Betts followed up with the go-ahead hit. And such as such, the Dodgers survive to then face a 2-1 to deficit. Now they're facing a 3-1 to deficit. The same deficit that they faced last year going into the postseason. But the difference between this year and last year are the following things. Number one, the Dodgers pitching wasn't torn up as it is. Um, I don't know if Stassi is on Scherzer, but with the dead arm, that's not good. Kershaw isn't pitching in the series at all and probably not the rest of the year. Trevor Bauer and the whole domestic incident. Justin May um, with the Tommy John. The bullpen is just it's going to be diminished even if they win. When they go to game six, their bullpen is going to take a hit. Not having Max Muncy, who was arguably the MVP of the National League in the regular season and probably the best player the Dodgers have had all year. Justin Turner goes down with an injury, so now you're going to have old man Albert Pujols having to play first base. Gavin Lux is playing out of position in center field. There's just so many obstacles for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, the Braves' only obstacle is not having Ronald Acuna Jr., and Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall have stepped up tremendously along with Freddie Freeman, along with Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson, and Austin Riley. The Braves are just hitting on all cylinders. The Braves are just, believe it or not, are the better team. Yeah. I mean, that it's just crazy, crazy to think about that. Like we said, you know, on the podcast when we did it on, you know, on Tuesday. Monday. That yeah, sorry, Monday. Sorry. Getting my days messed up, mixed up. But on paper, the Dodgers should be destroying the Braves, even if they had Acuna. Mm-hmm. But like we've also said on that podcast, talent on paper is a cool novelty. It needs to perform. Right now, the Braves are just performing so much better. And to me, even if the Dodgers end up winning this game somehow, like you said, it's going to deplete their bullpen. Then in game six, whoever they end up putting out is going to have to go long. Otherwise, you know, it, it's a ticking time bomb yep. at that point. Yep. You're, you're done. If, you know, you don't get a long – you got to get a long uh, start from one of your starters at some point in, in the series because if you yep. don't, you, whether it's game five, six, or seven – you lose. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a comparison uh, to the lineups right now. Um, Eddie Rosario is batting 580, and that comes with hitting four for five in uh what was it? Game four and game four going four for five with a double away from the cycle. And his last at bat, it just barely goes over the fence. The man almost hit a cycle. If that hit off the wall, he would have had a double and he would have hit for the cycle. That's <laughs> insane. And, and then you got, Jack Peterson batting 313. He's been hitting moonshots off of the Dodgers. More like a revenge tour for this man. Ozzy Albies is batting 294. And Ozzy Albies has been very productive on the base paths. Freddie Freeman batting 313. Swanson at 250. Um, Austin Riley here, although he's batting 188, he had a crucial game-winning hit in game one for the Braves. Meanwhile, on the Dodgers side, Chris Taylor is batting 417. Bellinger is batting 
300. And after that, it's like, well, where's everybody else? Mookie Betts is batting 214. And this is all going into the games. Corey Seager's batting 200. Trey Turner's at 167. Will Smith is at 267. And Pollock's at 250. That's not, that's not going to help. And Justin Turner um, is probably out for the rest of the year. Finished batting 200 in this series. That's not good. That's not good. And like you said, it looks sexy on paper. But you still got to perform to the back of your baseball card. And the Dodgers are not doing that. The hitting's been a lot better for the Braves compared to the Dodgers, as well as the pitching. Urias was easily the best pitcher for the Dodgers all year. I think that he gets a little bit overshadowed by Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller because of, I would say, the strikeout numbers. Urias was a 20-game winning pitcher and probably could have had more. The Dodgers were so deep at the beginning of the year before they had Scherzer that he wasn't, you know, doing normal start like every other pitcher in baseball. And he got hammered in five innings, eight hits for five earned runs, only three strikeouts. And there was back-to-back home runs between Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall. This is a three-to-one deficit that they're not. The Braves are going to the World Series. And the Braves are going to the World Series without Acuna and without Marcelo Zuna with the domestic case. (laughs) Wild. Absolutely wild. Because if you just look at the regular season records, looking at it now, Braves were uh, 88 and 73, it says. The Dodgers were 106 and 56. And not to mention, too, the Braves had the best record after the All-Star break than any other team in baseball at 42 and 20. They made the right moves at the trade deadline. They brought in Eddie Rosario and they traded away Pablo Sandoval. They brought in Jack Peterson from Chicago, who has been outstanding. They claimed Jorge Soler off the waivers after the trade deadline. And they brought back Adam Duvall. And they didn't give up any high talented prospects, which is crazy because their first base prospect is one of the top prospects in baseball. And he probably won't see a day in the MLB because Freddie Freeman's probably going to get the contract extension at the end of this year. I'm just absolutely flabbergasted by the heart and effort of this Braves team. And not to mention, too, out of the four teams in these playoffs between the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Red Sox, the Braves are the least. I mean, they every team uses analytics, but the Braves are one of the least um, analytic teams in baseball. They, they don't go heavy into analytics like a lot of these teams of baseball, like the Tampa Bay Rays, like the Red Sox, like the Astros, like the Yankees, especially the Dodgers with all these bullpen games that they've been doing. They're one of the least uh, analytic teams in baseball. And it's nice to see, isn't it? So, oh, yeah. Not, oh, with, yeah. Anal, with analytics, it's just I, – I we understand the reasoning and the point behind it, but it's just – uh, it's just so damn annoying when it doesn't work out. It's so much more annoying than when normal, you know, how people used to manage and play back in the day. How if when that didn't work out, you you would live with it. When analytics and like how when it's like especially the bullpen game doesn't work out, that just makes you mad and it just POs you. 
because you're yeah. just like, what is what's going on at this point? And it, yeah. it's it's just so annoying. And like we understand like why it's happened, especially like I feel like the Rays really brought it. You know, I I, I guess you want to say into the forefront because they've had a lot well, a they, ton they, of success with it. But the like Rays they take and- it into the Extreme. The Rays and the Athletics don't have much of a choice. They're one of the bottom feeding salaries with the Pittsburgh Pirates in salary for the season for for the team salaries on all baseball teams. And the A's just missed the playoffs and the Rays just hit it correctly. Kevin Cash isn't that good of a manager. He follows the analytics as told. Now, believe it or not, people think the Rays don't have a, a strong fan base. They do. They average the most views by far throughout the season for baseball than any other team. That includes the Yankees with Yankee fans as passionate as they are. The Rays have the fans. The issue is, is the stadium's location. And this talk from the Tampa Bay Rays front office about splitting between Tampa and Montreal. How would you just build your you're rich? Why don't you just build a new stadium? It doesn't got to be the next best thing since sliced bread. It can be something casual like it is right now with the Trop. I mean, the Trop's hideous from what a lot of people told me. But if you can bring a stadium closer to where you're marketing these games, you're going to get rid of you, and then you're not going to, you know, rely on analytics as hard as they do. Exactly. But, I don't know. It's, like you said, it, it's just it's so annoying when you see analytics, especially when you see teams that, have the talent of let's just say like like the Dodgers, the Yankees, you know, do on paper, and you see analytics throw in there, and it just like ruins games or series or you know whatever, and it it, it just frustrates you not only as a baseball fan, but or sorry, not only as a, a fan of the team, but especially just as a baseball fan. It's like just you almost want to just yell, get that crap out of here, just mm-hmm. manage. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we both know being East fans, that's you know, even though it was like really before you know. Our time, you know, we're real, real Yankees fans, but Joe Torrey, that's what he did. He just managed by feel. That's how Bobby Cox with the Braves did. He managed by feel. And they've had a, they had a ton of success. And it's just, uh, it's, it, it just, it genuinely is frustrating because especially with Boone, he's just, he's a puppet of upstairs. That's all he is. We'll talk about Boone much. in just a second, but I'm going to ask you right now when do the Dodgers. Get eliminated. Like, I think we're both in the same boat that they're not coming back from this three to one deficit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go with they're going to lose this game. I'm just going to go. They're getting they're getting knocked out in five. I disagree. I don't think they're going to get knocked out at home. Um, well, but that again depends with the analytics, because if Joe Kelly. Say he throws under 15 pitches in that first inning, he feels good for the second inning, send him out there. Send him out there. If he goes one, two, three, make him go four, five, six. Good, good morning, good afternoon, good night. If he could do that, keep him in there because you got to do whatever you can at this point to win. If this is the path you're going to go and you're going to go through your bullpen and you're going to use Joe Kelly and Trina and eventually, hopefully, Kenley Jansen at some point towards the end of the game, do it. That's what you got to do to stay alive. But once it goes to game six and game seven, pick your poison. Braves are sealing the deal. And the Braves are going to go to the World Series for the first time since the 90s. Yeah, I can't. Like, if the Dodgers ended up winning this somehow, I'd be absolutely just, I'd be surprised. I'd oh, be yeah. shocked. Oh, yeah. Much, I, I much like the rest I, of us. 
I just I just don't see how it's going to happen. I just don't. The way they're performing and the way the Braves are performing, Braves trending up, Dodgers trending down. Okay. Um, so now let's talk about the New York Yankees. Um, God forbid the Yankees got to take the spotlight when playoff <laughs> baseball is happening, and they announced that they have signed Aaron Boone to a three-year extension with a option for a possible fourth year. Hey, we're all happy, right? Woo-hoo. <laughs> do you want to start, Kyle, or do you want me to go first? What do you want here? Because normally, you know, I'm I just, I don't, I just, I, I mean, I feel like we're in the same boat, you know, about not liking it. One of the my coworkers at, you know, coworkers, say coworkers at work, which is redundant, but my fellow workers that I work with is a big Yankees fan as well, and all three of us hate it. We just just don't understand it. Like, or we're not that we don't understand it. We know why they they hired him back, but we don't like it. He just shouldn't be the manager of this team. He doesn't have a backbone. It's just what the upstairs and Brian Cashman and everyone says he does. What the numbers say you should do when it's against the feeling of what you should do, he goes with the numbers. Time after mm-hmm. time, game after game. Mm-hmm. Just ha- go by feeling for the love of God. It's yep. so frustrating yep. when he does that. And it just, it's just get some, get someone else. It's just, I understand they made it to the playoffs with him every year. Cool. I'm not going to hate to, I guess, sound cocky as a Yankees fan, but we're the Yankees. Playoff appearances is Cool. Thank you. That's not what we want. Thank you. Because want, you know what? We want we want ALCS appearances. We want ALCS wins. We want World Series appearances. No. We want World Series. We've been Give to us the, that. We've been to the ALCS in 2017 and 19. This point we need we need to make it to the World Series. And um the Michael K show has been really nauseating lately to listen to Michael K because I thought that he would understand where we're coming from. And it felt like Don LaGreca, a Mets fan, was staying up for Yankee Universe. Thank you, get Don LaGreca for understanding the frustration. Like you said. Is it disgusting to say, yeah, because we're just like the Dallas Cowboys. We're just like the Lakers. You know, we're just like the Celtics. We but don't think that's what you're used to championships. Exactly. Yeah, if that's what you're used to. That's and what we've that's what we've come accustomed to. Congratulations. Your first two years of manager, you won 100 games. What did you do after that? Doesn't yeah. mean nothing if you don't get to the end, because. What the Yankees feared was the Cardinals and the Padres wanted to get Aaron Boone. They wanted him really really badly and Yankees hit the panic button and they said well we need to get this man back then part of the reason for the Phil Nevin firing it was reported by Michael K it wasn't because of of the most runners thrown on at home plate it wasn't that even though it should it was because he barked back multiple times at Aaron Boone and I believe Brian Cashman as well about the analytics that was why Phil Nevin was fired. It had nothing to do with getting Judge out in that game against the Red Sox. It had to do because he was sick and tired of the analytics. <sighs> and it's what I told you, Kyle. And it's what I told everybody that's listening to this. If the Yankees Sucks. bring back Aaron Boone, they're going to run it all over again with what they got. So that means Judge will be in right. 
Hicks will be in center if he's healthy, because if then I don't know what's going to happen because Garnet's got a player option. And I hope he I I wish Garnet would just ride off into the sunset because I feel like the Yankees are just holding on to that one guy from the 2009 World Series team. It's time to get over. Well, he will. Yeah, well, Gardner will have those couple of plays a year, like those big time clutch plays. But the I, I rest of the time, but but this is what I mean. But then the rest of the time, he just sucks. Mm-hmm. So it's just like fans are like, he sucks. Get him out. And then he has a big play, and they're like, go Gardner. Then he sucks again. Then and it's I, a, and it's a revolving so door with him. It's and annoying. I feel so bad for Gardy too because I I don't ever feel that way towards Gardy because in a way I feel bad. I feel like the Yankees just relied on him so heavy this year because Aaron Hicks once again got hurt. Yep. And Clinton Frazier, the guy who was at one point a top 10 prospect in baseball and was highly regarded with his, quote, Mike Trout bat speed, the amount of injuries he went through. Well, I, I lost Kyle for a second here, so I'm just going to continue until we get Kyle uh, back. Stop. Oh. Sorry, I, I was I, I got a thing about the about uh, Baker Mayfield. Sorry. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. that. that his, we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah, on the I'll wait then. Yeah. Um, Clint Frazier getting hurt, not panning out. It was Marcus Timms. I can't tell you the amount of different stances we've seen Clint Frazier go through on the Marcus Timms. So hopefully yeah. Clint Frazier finally gets comfortable to play. It becomes the player that he was supposed to be. Um, yeah. Miguel Andujar, they tried putting him in left field. It didn't work. He also got hurt. So back to what it's going to look like. It's going to be Stanton DHing, judge it right. Hicks in center, Gallo in left. Third base is definitely Gio Rochelle. The Yank- Brian Cashman's already announced that the Yankees are 100% in the market for shortstop. Second base is going to be Labor. And then what's also been noted is that the Yankees want to bring back Anthony Rizzo. Now, what does Rizzo Thank want? God. Because Better. Rizzo rejected a five-year, $70 million contract from the Chicago Cubs. So what are the Yankees going to have to pay Anthony Rizzo to get it back? And then when you do, what are you going to do with DJ LeMayhew? And what are you going to do with Luke Voigt? I am not. Someone has to go at that point. It can't be LeMayhew. LeMayhew is too versatile. He can play first, second, and third. And I feel like. At a gold glove level, too. That's the issue. That's the issue. Because then when you do with Glaber Torres. Because they said they're going to get they they're either going to get Carlos Correa or Corey Seager once free UC starts according to ESPN's Buster only. There's so many different dilemmas that are going on right now that it's just it's confusing. It really is. Did DJ LeMay have a bad year? In his terms, yeah, because he was batting over 300. He bat a little bit under 270 with the core yeah. injury, with the triceps injury, and he still bat a little bit below 270. Yeah, it's... and then. Here we go. Here we go with Correa. Correa's having a career year. I and not to mention, I don't think any Yankee fans want to see Carlos Correa in pinstripes. And if you do bring him in, you're just bringing another right-handed batter to not play along with that short ports they have. Here's the issues yeah. with Corey Seager. And honestly, I, I after reading this tweet, it made me think about it. I would like Corey Seager because Corey Seager, when healthy, is one of the best shortstops in baseball. 2017, he played 145 games. You take that any day of the week at this point. That's not bad at all. Those are just rest days. 2018, he only played 26, and he got Tommy John surgery. 2019, he played 134 minutes, a little bit of time due to hamstring tightness. You can live with that. He played 52 out of 60 games in 2020. In 2021, it was just wrong place, wrong time. Hit by a pitch, fractured hand, played 95 games. Mm, Pain. 
I, I mean, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, I'm more tight about Aaron Boone coming back in this whole situation, but I don't want to lose. I want Anthony Rizzo back, but I also don't want to lose out DJ LeMahieu getting playing time. And I think Labor Torres still deserves a fair shot. Yeah, but see, this is this is the dangerous game that the Yankees are playing where you have to maximize their window now because you got people like Stanton on big time contracts, Cole on big time contracts. Judge is going to get probably a big or big ish contract. So you got to maximize the window. So now with the Aaron Boone thing, like me and you both agree. I feel like that not the decision that we would have made would have probably went with someone else. (laughs) And then you're then you got to make a decision. Do you want to go with Seager? Do you maybe want to go with Correa? And then the fallout from that is, if you do that, Torres most likely is gone. So then, oh. so then it's okay. Well, then you know, okay, then it's going to be Urshel, and then what? One of them at shortstop. So then, what? Second base is going to be then what? DJ, and then you know Rizzo if you bring him back, and then mix him up with Voit. You know, you're playing that game back and forth, which they weren't exactly. I th- felt like they could live with that, but they weren't the happiest. You know, when yeah. they was talked about. But then you have in the outfield, like you said, you have Hicks probably playing center, right, with Judge Gallo at left. Stan didn't play the worst of the field. And he also didn't get hurt. So it's just it, it, you got, you're playing a very, very dangerous game that you got to get right because if, if you don't get it right, it's going to destroy this team. And, I mean, you got talent – upcoming in the farm system that has some big, big time potential. But at the same point, as Yankees fans, we're not thinking about the future. The future's nice for it to be bright. Cool. That's good. We're thinking now. And not only is it now, it's championship now. You got to get that right. And like you said, if it's Correa, and he's probably what, the most hated Astro from that whole thing next to, no, you know, all, yeah, all, well, I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, only, only below, you know, Altuve. So how would that even play in New York if you were to bring him in? You know, you got to think of that. Yeah. That's got to be a big time factor if you're a cashman. So like I said, you're playing a dangerous game. You got to get it right. So right here, I have Correa's numbers compared to Gleyber Torres' numbers since Torres came in 2018. And he also needs to remember, too, that some of these career numbers are flawed due to the cheating. Because in 2017, the strikeout percentage as a total for the Houston Astros, the next best team was miles away to the strikeout percentage for the Houston Astros. So, Glaber Torres has 421 hits, 74 home runs, 234 RBIs, 26 stolen bases, 162 walks. Struck out 383 total times, a 268 batting average in a 338 on base percentage compared to Carlos Correa's 382 hits on 67 home runs and 241 RBIs with four stolen bases, 179 walks to Torres is 162. Again, this is where the cheating part cheating part takes place. 351 strikeouts to 266 batting average. And if I look at Carlos Correa's numbers. This season, he's playing his best since arguably his rookie year, which he only played 99 games. 
he played 148 games this year. He was hurt. In, well, he wasn't hurt in 2020. It was a shortened season, but he was hurt in 2019. He was hurt in 2018. He was hurt in 2017. So you're just bringing in somebody who gets hurt. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And that's the, that's been one of the problems with the Yankees want, in the past. And he's going to want a lot of money. And Carlos Correa is nowhere near the talent, in my eyes, of a Corey Seager. The one thing Correa has in Seager is his arm strength. True. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how many times I don't want to keep repeating myself, but it's a dangerous game that you got to get right because we won championships. That's it. That's all. That's all Yankees fans want. As spoiled as that sounds, guess what? Just how it is. That's what it's all going to come down to. I mean, I guess that concludes our baseball talk really quick there. I mean, sure, we went on a little Yankees rant, but uh, the final two games of the ALCS are now in Houston. Game five is currently happening as we are pre-recording here. Um, and first pitch should happen about 10 minutes from the time that we started in you think that uh, the Braves are going to finish it out tonight? I think the Braves yeah. will finish it out in game six. And I think the Astros will finish it out in game seven against the Astros or against the Red Sox. Excuse me. Eh, game seven. If, if I would love, I, lo- I love to see game seven. I love winner go home for both sides. All it does is just amp up the pressure on both teams. And that just makes for good TV. Mm-hmm. And can hear a complaint from me. <laughs> All right. Uh, the NBA season was in full effect on Tuesday. Um, the Brooklyn Nets went to Milwaukee, where the Milwaukee Bucks received their championship rings. And my God, uh, these rings just keep getting bigger and bigger. Looks like yep. who who can outduel who <laughs> in terms of the the looks of a championship ring at this point? Like, make it a championship bracelet or a necklace at some point. Like, it's, yeah, it's I mean, good. It's going to be a ring that goes over like two fingers at some point. They have a QR code embedded in their diamonds that you can, <laughs> that they can scan with their phones and watch the highlights leading up to all the way to winning their championship. I mean, it's, what is going on? That's just like, why I understand yeah. like, okay, it's cool, but like, why that's just yeah. so not necessary. But Kyle, no. who, who did I tell you was going to win that game between the nets and the bucks? Well, if you said the Bucks, right? I did say the Bucks. Everybody came at my throat, but I knew the Bucks were going to win. This is a brand new Nets team. They may not realize it because the starting lineup looks the same between Joe Harris, James Harden, Durant, Claxton, and Blake Griffin with no Kyrie Irving. They have a whole new bench. A whole new bench. They have Patty Mills. They have Patty Mills will be one of the best pickups the Nets made this offseason. The amount of heart he had, he was the reason why the Nets were in it. Because when James Harden went to the bench, Patty Mills was knocking down threes. Patty Mills is a warrior. And when you bring Patty Mills off the bench with Marcus Aldridge with their chemistry with the Spurs, that's big for the Nets. With James Johnson, who was inefficient. With Javon Carter, who was inefficient. LaMarcus Aldridge, is going. it's going to take time for him, too. Because you got to remember, like he had a critical heart issue where he retired, died all situated. He's back. Thank goodness, because the game is better with Marcus Aldridge, whether he's on the Nets or whatever team it is. It's just a whole new lineup for this Brooklyn Nets team where Milwaukee. Just about everybody's back, Kyle. I don't think they lost anybody from that championship team. Bobby Portis didn't play because he's injured. Dante DiVincenzo didn't play because he's injured. They have this new kid here, Jordan Nuara, who was playing hard. He was 
giving everything he had. He's a second-year player. Um, I wish I had what college he came out of. I believe it was LSU, and I could be completely wrong because there's a ton of college basketball teams that he could have came out of. But he was playing super aggressive, and they were high in him last year, and he's getting his opportunities this year. Giannis had 32 points with 14 boards and seven assists. Middleton had 20 points and nine rebounds. And they still managed to beat the Nets by 23 with Drew Holiday leaving the game early. The biggest issue from watching that game, Kyle, was the Nets were not able to stop the Bucs on the glass, especially offensively. That's where the Nets miss a Jared Allen or a DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I mean, we all know what what Giannis can do and Middleton, because with Giannis and Middleton, that's some serious, you know, they got some serious hype because, what, Giannis is probably about, what, seven foot with a reach of, I mean, good Lord. (laughs) And Middleton's probably pushing, what, like six, nine, six, ten. I don't know exactly his height, but, but but he's very tall as well, you know, on top of that. And then plus sometimes they can put out, you know, like an actual, you know, center as well. So the Uries know it's going to be a rough night on the boards, and that's probably one six, of the seven. biggest. Oh, okay, six seven. Okay, fair enough. But the Nets are that's probably what one of their biggest weak points, right? Is their you know, on paper is you know potentially rebound, especially against a team like the Bucks. So hey, if that's you know you get if that's what gets exploited, I mean you got You got to live with ah. that if you're the Nets. Louisville, that's where Noir came out of. Louisville, I was close. LSU, Louisville, it starts with now. Yeah, yeah, you get the A for effort. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you're you so you're much. welcome. I'm always here um, to help. Kevin Durant did his thing, though. You can't say nothing about Kevin Durant. He had 32 points, 11 boards on 13 of 25 shooting. Um, Blake Griffin, when he was on Giannis, clearly it was able to. It, it was more difficult for Giannis to get his buckets, although he was still getting his buckets. But the second you had. Lamarcus Aldridge or Nicholas Claxton on him, there was an issue. But if it ever came down to a playoff game, which we saw, Kevin Durant held his own against Giannis. Kevin Durant was on Brooke Lopez. And I don't see anything wrong with that. It's game one of the season. You don't want to, and Giannis wasn't even guarding Kevin Durant neither. You know, I mean, when it comes to the regular season, you're not going to, it's not like that anymore. You're not going to see your best offensive scorer and your best weapon in your team guard the other best weapon unless it comes down to the playoffs. That's not going to happen. Joe Harris was, not good in this game. He was good from three, shot 60%, making three of five attempts from three, three to nine overall. James Harden was six of 16 overall. And I love to say it because I'm, I got the game on right now between the Mavs and the Hawks on my TV. I am so happy with this NBA offici- officiating lately. However, there is going to be one flaw throughout the rest of the way here. The new rule with the three-point shot is amazing. And I think we wait for this for a long time because a lot of teams are trying to take advantage of that. I've watched Trey Young try to take advantage of that you mean the like the jumping into them mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. yeah i think because that was hot garbage but the one time um i don't know if it was holiday or if it was chris middleton when lamarcus all just closed down them it was middleton um they're going to review it every time they blow the whistle now and it looks like they're always going to get the flagrant foul because the zaza patchouli rolled to Kawhi. That's the one thing that's going to suck is because every time you see that whistle blow, well, you might as well go to your refrigerator and get a bowl of ice cream or whatever, you know, and you got to use the bathroom. That's your bathroom break because they're going to review that every single time. Yeah, this, I don't, I remember when it happened in that, that playoff game that completely changed that series. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I understand like why they want that to do that, because obviously that could severely change 
you know, like I said, a series or season, yeah. you know, it could, it could, who knows how long, you know, it could hurt the player, but and you, you hate those long stoppages in games. You just want a fluid game. Right. And that just stops it cold for, you know, what, a couple minutes. And fans that are, you know, at the stadium or watch on TV or wherever, everyone's just sitting there like, yeah, this is fun. This is what we want to see. The same replay for 10 minutes, it feels like, over and over and over again. Fun NBA mm-hmm. basketball. The Lakers and the Warriors filed after that. Do you remember? Who'd you pick that game, Kyle? I know I picked the Warriors. I picked the Lakers. I picked. Oh, I was two. No, you were over two, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, eh, boo. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis did their things. Thirty-three points from Anthony, thirty-four from LeBron. Both had eleven rebounds. Um, both shot well over fifty percent. LeBron fifty-six and a half. Anthony Davis fifty-seven point seven. Russell Westbrook four for thirteen total with eight points, five rebounds, four assists. Carmelo Anthony. Nine points off the bench. The ball was mainly in LeBron James's hands. God forbid, Kyle. God forbid. Game one, and the first thing I heard that Wednesday morning was, should the Los Angeles Lakers and Russell Westbrook consider having Russell Westbrook come off the bench to work with the second team? I'm like, good God almighty. Shut up. Stup- stupidest no. trash ever. No. Just no. If anything, and I honestly believe in this, I don't. I, and it's not saying much because they're both great, but if you had to pick the guy to be more ball dominant, you would say LeBron. Um, of course. We know why Kevin Durant was frustrated with Russell Westbrook, and it had a lot to do with Westbrook hogging the time, the shot clock, and dishing out last second. That's not going to work. But. Exactly. LeBron is more effective, I think, than Russ off the ball due to the fact that LeBron can shoot the three ball better than Russell Westbrook. So if Russell dishes and kicks it out to LeBron, LeBron's open compared to Russ. LeBron's going to knock down that three more likely than Russ. What, well, what if they did a pick and roll with them? One sec. Let's not forget that Russell Westbrook, when he was with the Rockets, the Lakers literally were daring him to shoot the three ball because they knew he couldn't make it. Now, on the pick and roll thing, then you take away from Anthony Davis. That's but Anthony he, Davis. He, but, but he also can he can shoot. He can probably shoot better from three than Westbrook can. So well, I mean, not, I mean, just can. to throw just to throw well, the wrinkle, and pop, and not then, that you pick run and it. pop, not pick and roll, pick and pop. Yeah, pick and roll, pick and pop, just, just pick whatever and it is. It, and, and if it, yeah, as long as it just works, you know, and I think with Westbrook, you know, what you could probably do is maybe have him be, you know, like mixing like a good amount of off the ball. But then if LeBron goes to the bench, he's, a, you know, have him try to play more, you know, more minutes and be the, you know, the ball dominant guy, you know, so you can, you know, have instead of the point forward with LeBron, you had more of the traditional point guard with Westbrook. I think what could end up hurting the Lakers, believe it or not, is possible is I think not having Alex Caruso or KCP, not you trade away KCP to get Russell Westbrook. You live with that. You weren't able to get back Alex Caruso. Those are two crucial defenders in Caruso. Is this that line going to be spectacular? No, it's not going to be spectacular. But the effort and the hustle you get out of those two players defensively. They're going to miss that. Absolutely. But hey, it's, the Lakers made their bet. They got a lie in it. 
And the one issue with this team, too, was going to be the three-point shooting. I mean, how much are you going to rely on LeBron shooting five for 11 from three? Anthony Davis only shot one for five. Melo was two for four, and Avery Bradley was two for three. But, I mean, out of all those guys, I feel like the best bet of anybody to shoot 40% from three would probably be LeBron. Because LeBron's three-point percentage has begun better and better into year 19, believe it or not. But enough yeah. about the Lakers really quick. Because we got to go into the Golden State Warriors. They they won this game. Steph Curry had a triple-double the first time, I believe, since 2016. And he wasn't shooting well by any stretch of the imagination. He was 5 of 21 from the field. And even the post-game press conference, he goes, he basically said, I suck and I need to do better. But when he wasn't shooting, he was rebounding. He was dishing the ball. And this proves more to Steph Curry's greatness because a lot of people question his greatness saying, let's see what he could do on his own. And he single-handedly carried a really poor rostered, rostered uh, Golden State Warriors team last year. He really did. Yeah, absolutely did. He was MVP consideration, which is very impressive. And, that, and like you said, it shows the greatness of Steph Curry when he doesn't have a good shooting night and he realizes it. He said, okay, I, how can I – how can I – put my stamp on this game okay passing okay you know gets double digit assist okay rebounding gets double digit rebounds like you said ultimately ends with a triple double that just shows greatness and a guy that's willing to admit okay this game normally i'm gonna probably the best shooter there's ever been this game i suck okay how can i impact the game in other ways and jordan, he, he figured, jordan Poole he definitely helped the cause too because jordan Poole had a great preseason he had 20 points behelisa had 15 points on 11 uh, with 11 rebounds on missing just one shot total. He shot six of seven from the field. Iguodala played tremendous. Having Iguodala back is going to be huge. And this is all before getting Clay Thompson back and James Wiseman. The Warriors are going to be serious threats in the West. Like the Warriors could potentially go to the finals depending on what we could see from Clay Thompson. It's all it's Clay Thompson and health. They can hold up. They're they're old. When you have that level, those two players in terms of Clay Thompson and Curry, if they're healthy, you always have a chance because any of them can go off for 50 at any point. And with how good they can shoot the three ball, and that's a great equalizer now in the NBA. It's a three ball. They have what the best shooter ever with, you know, people say with Curry. And then you have right right the there with catch him. and shoot shooter of all. Yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, that's ridiculous. And you got to pick your poison sometimes. And if anyone of them can go off, <laughs> good luck. But, yeah, there you go. That's that's how good the Warriors can be. Shows a lot of potential. Speaking of good, maybe not for you, but for Knicks fans, because <laughs> the Celtics brought back <sighs> the Celtics brought the game all the way back to eventually force overtime, which normally is turns out to be a Knicks loss, turns into a Knicks win in double overtime yay, <laughs> with Jalen Brown or excuse me, you could talk about Jalen Brown in a second. I want to talk about Julius Randle putting up 35, eight and nine and Evan Fournier putting up 32 points as Derek Rose, who came off the bench for a tired and exhausted Kemba Walker sealed it with a layup as the dagger. So I'll let you go into full summarization of this game, Kyle. Yeah. Well, cause that- <laughs> Well, because I mainly, I mainly honestly watched the the second half because I got got home and was watching that. But 
the, the way that they got into overtime was uh, or tied it to make it go in overtime was surprising. The Knicks were playing absolutely just garbage in the last 40 seconds of the game. They were tr- like trying to be like, hey, Celtics, you want to you want to come back? And then they played terrible defense on that last possession the Celtics had with a couple couple seconds off. Like Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker uh, decided to drop uh, drop into the paint instead of guarding Marcus Smart from three. I mean, it was terrible by the Knicks. I mean, but hey, it worked out. But and then it just seemed like in the in overtime, it was just I feel like just bad bad shot selection, like. Jalen Brown obviously was the high hand. The man put up 46 points on 16 of 30 shooting. And he had an absolute yeah. bomb from three. I believe it was in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. And then it feel like, you know, Tatum wasn't having a good game. Just give it to the hot hand. Give it to Jalen Brown. It's just – I just feel like it was a it was a very winnable game. And just – they just didn't perform in, over, in both overtimes. They just didn't do it. Like the last shot – by uh or the shot at the end of the first overtime by uh Jason Tatum. Holy hell, that was terrible. Tatum struggled. He was seven of thirty from the field. He struggled big time. Yeah. Did did you see the shot at the end of overtime? The first I have overtime? It, but this is where I would like to make it my was case that I've been brutal. making since last year. Why I think Jalen Brown is better than Jason Tatum, and that's not taken away from Tatum's greatness because Tatum is very good. Here's a difference between them. If Jalen Brown is off, he can affect the the game, I think, better than Tatum on the defensive end and on the offensive end because he can and, drive. Well, not only that, but I feel like they run the offense so much through Jason Tatum where it takes away from Jalen Brown getting a lot of the blame. We'll see if like it ever switches around, but I doubt it. But Tatum goes on these spurts, and when Tatum is off, he is off. Seven of 30 shooting, and then when he's on, he's on because he could put up 40 or 50 Mm -hmm. easily. Yep. But I take Jalen Brown defensively. I take him, especially in the mid-range, in driving to the lane, and I think Tatum has the better edge with creating his shot, which isn't taken with Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown can create his own shot easily too. Creating his own shot and handles. Other than that, I think Jalen Brown can prove my case with the first game, putting up 46 points with nine rebounds and six assists to Jason Tam's 20 points. That took 30 shots for him to do so with 11 rebounds. Jalen Brown's three steals. Jason Tatum's one. It's Jason Tatum. That game, it was just, it was a, it was a terrible game by Tatum. Jalen Brown had, you can probably argue his career game in the opener, but after we're done with this, you really should watch that the shot by Tatum at the end of the first overtime because it was terrible. It was like if it was one of those, I guess the way to describe it is like when uh Kobe would have the ball on the on the right wing and would kind of like drive like drive a little bit to kind of get the defender going and then try to pull up and do almost like that pull up fadeaway shot. Yeah. This kind of, I would say kind of like what Jason Tatum did, except he completely airballed it. It wasn't close. And there I, was I, still a little bit of time, like a couple of seconds where you could have done a little something different than just straight like iso ball or maybe try to move it to, like move or whatever but it was terrible that shot and i love the defender or not the defender uh, the um announcer said that it was a good shot selection i'm like huh like what i know i'm not the world's greatest in terms of you know basketball knowledge but i'm calling bs on that 
Mm-hmm. No, that was – I mean, it's an okay shot selection, but can you at least hit a uh, rim, please? <laughs> Por favor, hook a brother up on that? Like, that shot was <laughs> terrible. Like, good Lord. It was – and then second half – or sorry, second overtime, it just went down the drain. Just ah, – it was unfortunate. It was a good game. It's the only game one. It's just – it was a bummer how game one ended. Oh, well. My question is, is with this Knicks team – um. They finished sixth last year in the Eastern Conference. Where do you think they could finish this year if we were to make like our brackets, which we're not going to make this episode, but do you think the Knicks can finish better than six, below six, or finish sixth? I mean, I'd say I'd say the range that they could finish in, I would say high Remember, of- ten, 10 teams yeah. make the playoffs because um what, eight, Seven, yeah. eight, nine, and ten have that play-in thing that they oh, used yeah, that last year. Weird, yeah, yeah. that interest, interesting experiment. Uh, I would say, I would say high of high of four, low of seven. I'll go mm-hmm. with. I'll go with in. The, I know it's like a, a relatively wide range, but I feel like I can't really pinpoint like specifically. Okay, I feel like they're going to finish fifth. Let's just say or something like that. I feel like that that's going to be the range, like low of seven. High of four, obviously barring injuries, destroying that team, which obviously hopefully doesn't happen. But the, I mean, they got potential. You know, they got yeah. Fournier, like you said, had a good game. Kind of monster game. He had a, he had more of a revenge game than Kemba Walker did. Celtics would have had, would have kept him, but they didn't. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> you don't mean nope. that. You don't mean that. No, I mean, I kind of wish they had because he had it was another, you know, guy that, you know, was a you know good shooter. And I that's what you need in the NBA nowadays. Yeah, but he I would have liked him. He wasn't that efficient for you guys. So when he was on part of the team. Yeah, but when he could have, put, you know, I don't know. I just wish they would have done it. But also could have been, you know, one game of where he just <laughs> destroyed us. All right. So the Ben Simmons drama continues since last time we talked where Ben Simmons refused to take to participate in defensive Drills and practice, and oh, Doc Rivers kicked him out of practice, resulting in <laughs> he's a, out of here, <laughs> resulting in a one game suspension, in which he missed the season opener in New Orleans against the Pelicans, in which the Sixers did win. Now, there's a thing saying that he will be out for Friday's contest against the Brooklyn Nets. He's expected to speak to upper Sixers 76ers management. Before morning shoot around. And the Sixers president, Daryl Morey, via 97.5, the fanatic says, You're going to think I'm kidding. I'm not. This could be for four years. Every day we're going to expect Ben Sims to be back here or we trade him for a different maker. Can I tell you something now, Kyle? Tell me. Daryl Morey is a jackass. <laughs> now, if Joel Embiid is come on saying, I don't care about this man anymore. He can do whatever he wants. You know what you're still doing? You know what you're still doing? You're prioritizing Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has much more talent. Gives Excuse the poison ivy that you're saying. Much more talent. I, know. <laughs> I wish people could see your Ew. face. I know it's, it's, it's not a fun time. More talent. Um, does takes accountability seems like he's good with constructive criticism and isn't backstabbing anybody in this team. 
Joel B lost out on two of his best friends for Ben Simmons. Do you know who those guys are, Kyle? Uh, Jimmy Butler, I would assume, was one, one. of them. The, oh, God. Who was the other one? Shooter. Was it J.J. Redick? J.J. Redick. They moved on from J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler to prioritize Ben Simmons. And this is where Ben Simmons plays in fall two. Ben Simmons could have been a free agent. He signed the contract extension. Okay. So in both aspects, Daryl Morey and Ben Simmons are both jackasses. Ben Simmons signed a four-year extension. And he's quitting after year one. Jackass. Daryl Morey is so... This is, where I, this is what I think. The Sixers passed up on train for Kyle Lowry because they believed in Ben Simmons. Kyle Lowry was linked to the 76ers more than any other team last year before the trade deadline. It was almost like it was set in stone that Kyle Lowry was going to go to the 76ers. And even Kyle Lowry thought he was going to 76ers because his last game as a Raptor for the deadline. You could see him chucking up the deuces to the camera with a heart saying, I love you, Toronto, essentially, even though they were in Tampa. It was almost like set in stone that he's going to go to 76ers. He didn't. Now Kyle Lowry's in Miami. Now the next thing is hearing that Daryl Morey thinks that he's going to get James Harden. But now when he, when he comes out today and says this can go on for four years, he's not so confident he can get James Harden now. James Harden looks like he's probably going to stay in Brooklyn after saying that they have the money and he plans to resign. I mean, we've heard that before. Kyrie Irving, the Celtics, you never know. Eh. But it definitely <sighs> sounds like they've lost confidence that of getting someone to replace Ben Simmons. So now they're going to try to force feed this to work. And if the dude doesn't want to be there and he's being as selfish as he is and you're not getting rid of that cancer to a team who's eventually going to face that Philly crowd, which isn't going to make things any better. And you got people like Jason Kelsey, who's played his whole career essentially with the Philadelphia Eagles coming out and saying, you just need to play better, shut up and play better. This isn't just become a a, a topic for the media. Kyle. This is a big issue in the city of Philadelphia. And although it's called the the city of brotherly love, (laughs) When it comes to sports and you screw over Philadelphia sport fans, there is no love. They have, they are the most ride or die. They were chanting some that we can't repeat on AEW. And then there were chants yesterday at the Philadelphia Flyers game. Yeah, there you go. It just shows. Ben Simmons needs to be out of there ASAP. You mean to tell me just get him out. They're not going to chant something tomorrow before. Before or during the game between the 76ers and the Nets? You mean exactly. to tell me that's not going to happen? Fans are going to f- try to force the GM, whose name is Daryl Morey. Yeah, they're going to force him to trade him at this point. They're going to keep chaining and make it as much of a public thing, even more than it already is, and as much of a problem as it can be until he does it. Because it's just, you got to get him out of there. The situation, you thought it couldn't get more toxic. It is just getting more and more toxic by the day. And it's reading like, or sorry, it's reaching like crisis levels almost like at this point. Just get him out. He doesn't want to be there. Like everyone knows it. Like, come on, get him out. Like ASAP. You might be right. Um, Freddie Freeman just hit a tour and bomb. Saw that. 
<laughs> Freddie Freeman did Jerome Palmer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I want to see if I can find some elder quotes here, but um, he says people should buckle in. This is going to be a long time. Um, that's Daryl Morey. Um, Jason Kelsey to Ben Simmons, just play better than Philadelphia. Will love you. Debatable. <laughs> in uh, the blame on Ben Simmons too is he didn't take any shots in the fourth quarter in those games against the Hawks, you caved under pressure. You couldn't handle the pressure and you're posting all these videos of you shooting and making jump shots. And you did the same thing last year. You don't have to shoot 30% from three. Like I told you before, but you see people like Lonzo ball put in that hard work when everyone thought that Lonzo ball was going to be a bust. Lonzo put as much working as possible. We saw Giannis after winning a championship, after winning a championship, Putting in the work and you see him preseason pulling up from three. Those are guys who are committed to the game. And if you're not committed to the game, you're just there for the paycheck, Ben Simmons, that's fine. That's fine. But don't be putting the blame on everybody else when the reason they lost last year was because of you. Juwan B put everything he could. He did everything that he possibly could. He played hurt. He did everything he could. Now Joel Embiid is embracing the new leadership role because now this team's embedded into him. Joel Embiid yeah. talked about how after games on the road, he'd go back and play video games. First thing they did before the game, they got a team dinner set up by Joel Embiid. That's leadership. And exactly. I, I thought Embiid was the leader from the start, but apparently not. And now he's accepting this leadership role. I don't know. I, I feel well, bad for Joel Embiid. Really exactly. bad for Joel Embiid. Yeah, because you look at, like we said, how the Philly fans are, you know, where they're so ride or die. You see that literally the exact statement in action with Joel Embiid. Fans love him. I I hated Joel Embiid. I did. Joel Embiid was always cocky and he was always a bully. Yeah. I mean, he's a bully on the court. Yeah. You could see he's probably what one of the most beloved players in in, in uh, Philadelphia in right now. Easily. Yeah, Easily. and do you know is? how much he benefited having Jimmy Butler and his team? Look what happened with yeah. the Miami Heat. How much they're benefiting with Jimmy Butler? Exactly. And then you see the opposite of what's going on with Ben Simmons. It's just you know it's it's like we said in previous podcasts. It's so annoying seeing someone with all the talent in the world that doesn't want to put in the work. Compared to LeBron James and doesn't want to put in the work. Yeah, yeah, doesn't want to put in the work because it's just like, what are you doing? Like, like you said, if you're in there for the paycheck, cool, good for you. If that's how you are, cool. Ben Simmons has listed his primary residence in Morristown, New Jersey, for five mil. The home hit Zillow just hours after he was kicked out of 76ers practice on Tuesday. Two weeks ago, he listed his other residents in Center City on the market as well. Joe Kelly leaves the game in the first. That pulled up an apparent injury after recording two outs. And Ben Simmons described back tightness to several Sixer staff members. It was briefly treated for it today. Sources tell ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. All right. And (laughs) I see a thing on Twitter. Ben Simmons is going to create a new injury every single day to avoid playing. Probably. Probably. Yeah, would, you, would you would you be surprised at this point? <laughs> no, I think it's an absolute clutch right now in Philly, and it's going to be a distraction. And I think not having Ben Simmons and also having this whole situation, I think it takes the Sixers out of the elite tier in the 
in the AFC, or excuse me, the Eastern Conference. I load up football, hence why I said AFC. In the Eastern Conference, I think it takes them out being with the Brooklyn Nets, being with the Milwaukee Butts, and maybe the Miami Heat, depending on we'll how to do with the Heat. I mean, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, you know, Tyler Hero rebounds. They can be with the Bucks and the Nets, maybe. And for all we know, they could be fighting to be in the same discussion with the Celtics and with the Knicks and possibly the Bulls. I mean, this Sixers team last year was considered to be the first, second, or third best team in the Eastern Conference, and they probably dipped all the way down to six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. Yeah. You're not wrong. Just looked at it now. The Browns are up seven nothing. Right down the field. Let's transition to football. Um a lot of the talk now is Baker Mayfield's not the quarterback, as we discussed on Monday. Are you a firm believer in that? Do you think that this game here with him not playing with Case Keenum in and with Case Keenum not playing with Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt or the tackles? I don't know what the stats was on Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know if he's playing or not. Um, I don't have the thing here in front of me. and I didn't get an update, so I'm assuming Odell Beckham Jr. is playing because I didn't get any updates saying that he was out. Uh, Jarvis Landry's playing, I believe, as well. Um. Yeah, Jarvis was activated off of uh, IR. Trying um, to find it. Do you well, think but... that potentially with all this ruckus here that Case Keenan could take over for Baker Mayfield as third quarterback, depending on today's game? <laughs> Only if the injury is as bad as or worse than what people oh, are I expecting. I think the injury is really bad. I, I think he shouldn't be playing. Well, 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 this thing, because I mentioned I got a thing in that he like like a shoulder fracture. They mentioned something about that. Like it, only based off of if the injury is terrible and it could potentially affect deep into his future. If it's not that bad, which doesn't look like it's, you know, looks like it's pretty bad. Then, you know, be like, OK, Baker, listen, we got to scrap it this season. I know you don't want to, but, you know, call it a day. But give I mean, Case Keenum has such a limited potential, no matter how we saw him in that one year in Minnesota. Yeah. Odell, he has very limited potential. Odell is acti- active. Jarvis Landry is active. And the left tackle, Jedrick Willis, who they anticipate not playing, is active. Cleveland's without the right tackle, Jack Conklin, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. Um, I agree with you. And it's like what I told you on Monday. It's not Baker Mayfield's fault. Baker Mayfield, they look at the last drive and do they convert? No, they didn't. It, that's such, you know, but the man's putting up points for the team and you can give the credit to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Someone's got to hand that football off to them at the end of the day too. Someone's got to make the audibles for them too. If it's original pass play and he sees it and it's a running play. The issue with Baker Mayfield is he wants to be in the same class as Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. And he's, is he there? No. Could he be? Yeah. He's got the talent for someone, his height with his arm strength. He's got the talent. Now here's the one thing I will say. I think we have seen enough. I don't think him and Odell Beckham jr. Click. And it's not to say that they hate each other. And it's not like us, the issues like with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in Cleveland. It's just that some things just don't mesh. The Browns were clearly better last year when Odell wasn't on the field. The Browns almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs week one because he seems more comfortable with the Jarvis Landrys, with the Donovan's People Jones. And that's not to take away from Odell. 
let's not forget, Kyle, some of these dream teams in all sports, it just doesn't work. And when you got two elite receivers, I think Landry's an elite receiver. Odell's an elite receiver. Sometimes you got too much talent. And I also question some of the uh, some of the uh, routes that they make Odell run. When he was with the Giants, Odell did it all. Slant routes, screens, out. It seems like they always want Odell down the field. Odell is pretty effective out of a o- slant route, let o- me tell you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Odell, like, he's one of the most uh, – the yeah, my words. He was probably one of the best, like, at running slants and getting not only the yards from the catch, I mean, how many but times yards have after seen, the catch. How many times have we seen Odell with the completion on the slant route since he's been with the Browns? Yeah, Very yeah remember – Remember that one? It was a couple years ago. I'm assuming it was his first year with Cleveland when he went back to New York against the Giants. I mean, he took a slant route to the house, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, the guy is so effective because they would have to respect his speed and the down the field threat that what's one of the best, you know, um, routes for a receiver to run against people guarding deep stuff? Slant route. Take one step, cut it inside. Bam, wide open. Quarterback gives you the ball on the run. Mm-hmm. And then you let the speed and the agility do the work after that. So it all comes down to. I mean, I, I made a bet that, well, it's legal in Connecticut now. I made a bet of the Broncos winning today and they're trailing 7 nothing. I still don't think that changes anything. I think um, not having Baker Mayfield will hurt the Browns a lot more than what people think. And I think that comments like Keyshawn Johnson made that, like, you can replace a Baker Mayfield to Marcus Mariota to make the Browns better. You're crazy. You're out of your goddamn mind. Yeah, that's if you think uh, Marcus Mariota. That's Get off stupid. that train. <laughs> Get off that train. Um, yeah, I mean, what else we got going on in the NFL right now, Kyle? I mean, I, I haven't seen any other significant news or anything. I mean, nothing, nothing other than other pretty news shocking. Pretty shocking. Going into week seven, there's not that much uh, to talk about really in the NFL except for this Baker Mayfield issue with the shoulder injury. And if Baker Mayfield does miss a lot of time, the Browns can kiss the playoffs, hope to goodbye. Oh, yeah. They can. Well, that, I mean, the well, Ravens, the Ravens are going to come away with the division. It looks like I'm shocked to say that because I thought with everything that happened, but Lamar Jackson, the Ravens have fought through the adversity of losing every starting running back that they had planned, losing out on um, some key defensive players, and yet they still found a way to be five and one. And some of it was very sketchy. I mean, especially the 66 yard field goal in Detroit where they did almost blow. A game against the Detroit Lions, which would have been talked about for a while. Now we'd be talking about it like crazy. And then the other thing, too, is the Bengals are pretty legit. I don't think their defense has been getting enough talk because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have been stealing the show, but their defense has been one of the better uh, points against teams in football. Not many teams have been getting points against that defense. Yeah, I mean, that that division itself is one of the one of the better and just straight up tough divisions mm-hmm. that there is in is in football. I mean, the division's always been, you know, very uh, just a tough division in terms of physicality, and it's I feel it still is. No matter if the game is softened up, you know, that division will always be tough. It's just the way those teams are and the way those cities are. They're just tough cities, and their teams reflect that. You're not wrong. Hey, let's go ahead and make our picks for uh, week seven here. We forgot to do picks last week. That's on me. Sorry. Yeah, that's all. It's all good. We, you know, we're we're figuring figuring this stuff out. So we were. It was our first. 
pre-recorded show in a long time and we're figuring things out. So I said, I'm taking the Broncos tonight. Um, I would say very low scoring. I was going to take them like 21, 18. What about you? Uh, yeah, I was in a, I was still going to go with just uh, with the Browns kind of based off of the miles Garrett clowny thing, but again, like in a, a lower scoring game, just like you, I'd say probably about the same score, just flip flopped. All right. So the New England Patriots host the New York Jets. Last time they faced off, Zach Wilson threw four interceptions against the Patriots defense. Um, what I would like to see this game, Kyle, what I would like to see from this game is let Mac Jones get a little more of that freedom. We saw that throw he made against the Cowboys. You're facing a Jets team. You should be more confident enough that you're going to beat the Jets. And if you do lose, then Hell yeah. then I, don't, I, I will evaluate on Monday. Then you guys I see, suck. I want to see Mac Jones get more freedom to sling of the football. I'm going to go with the Patriots. I'm going to go with the Patriots. I'm going to go 28-13. We'll see how Zach Wilson, the Jets, rebound after getting a bye. We can have plenty of preparation for this New England Patriots team. 28-13, final score, Patriots-Jets. I'll go Patriots to win 31-15. Because like like, like how you said, I just feel like the the way the – that they're holding back Mac Jones, it's frustrating because we know what the team was supposed to be. Sorry, excuse me, I had to burp. Uh, we know what the Patriots were supposed to be was at the beginning of the year, which is more of a run offense, you know, kind of chew the clock and have great defense. But what they are turning into be really is a team with a okay defense. The run game has spots, but is not overly consistent. It's more of a Mac Jones led team. Let the man air the ball out. That man is good. Does he have the strongest arm in the world? No. Hell no. <laughs> but is he one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the league? Yeah. Hell yeah. The guy who makes good decisions. Let the man Sometimes. throw the ball. It's just like, it's it's like, good Lord, stop holding him back. There's times where the play calling by Josh McDaniels just POs me. Because it's like, what are you doing? Let the man air the ball out. Like, we've seen him make some some good decisions. You know, I would – one thing I would like to see the Patriots do a lot more than Mac, uh, have Mac Jones, you know, open up his freedom is what's going on with the two tight ends and, like, sets in terms of, like, that was supposed to be one of the, you know, the strengths of the team. Yeah. You know, on paper, you paid both of them paper, big, yeah. big time money in free agency. Yep. And they ha- it hasn't been that effective with both of them on the field. And I, lo- I would love to see that because that opens up a world of possibilities. You know, like if you come out two tight ends. All right, wrap it up a- here, Kyle. <laughs> okay. Well, they're more of a base personnel. You passed. And then, you know, after that, it just, ah, it's frustrating. But please, Patriots, just get back in a win column, please. It's the Jets. You have to beat them. Packers hosting the Washington football team. Packers are giving away seven and a half points, and I would gladly take the Packers with all seven and a half of those points, depending, if you can bear with me for one moment, please. Oh, they're without David Bacchiardi. That's definitely no good, Um, depending what side Chase Young winds up, because if that's not good if they don't got David Bacchiardi. Maybe that's why the spread is like that. I anticipate being a lot more. David Bacchiardi is out. Um, let's see. Is there anything else? I mean, Darnell Savage is questionable with concussion. Kevin King is questionable. Jahir Alexander, I believe, is on the IR, isn't he? I believe I believe he is. All right. Well, this might change my whole opinion then. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going green guy. I just, I'm trying to think of a score here. 
Um, Aaron Rodgers, would you believe me if I told you Devontae Adams only has two touchdown receptions on the year? I'm not surprised the way I've seen seen him, like because I've been paying attention to a lot. Like it just seems like their games are just always on, and I just always see a lot of them. But yeah, the way I would be surprised based off of what he did last year. I'll go with the Packers. I'm going to go 30-27. Washington's defense has been really bad. Heineke has been really good. He has been really good. You got to give the man his respect, his due diligence. He's been doing good. And Terry McLaren's also saved him on a lot of throws, too. Terry McLaren is like a Steve Smith Jr. who's had like an unreliable quarterback. He's a beast. 30-27 Green Bay. I'm gonna, I'll go 33-23 Green Bay. I just, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I just think, I just think it's too good. And also, I really like what he did against Chicago when he said that I own you as the crowd was, I think, not a lot being, of not that. being, not, not being nice to him, let's mm-hmm. just say. Mm-hmm. The following game, Kansas City heads to Tennessee to take on the Chiefs. Derrick Henry's already had 10 rushing touchdowns on the year. Holy crap. My, my fantasy team thanks you for pulling out the victory, by the way. Thank you very much. Julio Jones leads receiving everything with the, Titans, 15 receptions, 263 yards, no touchdown receptions. That's crazy to think of. Wow. Um, this is hard for me to pick, Kyle, because this is the a tough Chiefs game should win this game, and the Chiefs are favored by four and a half. Who the hell is stopping Derrick Henry? I told you how the Titans had to win the game. Derrick Henry had to be the reason that they beat the Bills. And Derrick Henry, prior to that, I don't think had a single 100 rushing yard game against the Bills since he's been in the NFL. Yeah, if you're right on the money with that. And he rushed for over 100 yards. He had a 76-yard touchdown where you could see the safeties from the Bills make an executive decision by not getting in the way and getting trampled and just let him take it to the crib. pulled away. It was insane. That guy, that I think, was it Des Bryant that said it best? He is the player we would create (laughs) in Madden. It is exactly 100% perfectly stated. I'm going to take the Chiefs, and here's why. The secondary for both teams are flawed, but I think the Titans' secondary is more flawed. Janoris Jenkins, Fair. I don't know what's happened to Janoris Jenkins, but he looks like he's not meant to be in the league anymore. He's not picking up on a lot of these defensive routes that he should be picking up on. I mean, Cole Beasley was wide, wide open in the end zone because of Janoris Jenkins. I'm going to go with the Chiefs as one because Patrick Mahomes is going to take advantage of that all day. I'm going to go high scoring because both defenses suck. And <laughs> yeah, they do. if the Chiefs are favored by four and a half, I'm going to take a 35-32 win for the Kansas City Chiefs. So whatever, let me see what the over-under is here because I'm sure that's going to be really high. The over-under according to ESPN. Yeah, it's 57. That's 67 points right there. Take the over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm honestly, I'm going to I'm gonna go with the, with the Titans on this one. Because he said it's a very tough game to pick, but the way Derrick Henry just is right now. Wow. Who I guess has really kind of been ever since, you know, the playoffs in 2019, really. Yeah. That, you know, ever since that playoffs and what he's playing now and just how bad the Chiefs, like, run defense, I feel like, especially is. I mean, it's going to be Derrick Henry versus Patrick Mahomes show. <laughs> quarterback versus, you know, great quarterback versus great running back. I feel like they're, they're going to put up too much and – I'll go 30, 34 to 30 victory for the Titans. Okay. Uh, Dolphins hosting the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons sit in two and three in the year. Dolphins are at one five, one win against the week one Patriots. And that's because two was playing. Although two did hand over the Jags, their first win. I don't think 
that mistake is going to happen twice. He's listed as questionable. I anticipate two attacks by playing. And even if the Dolphins lose, the Falcons are favored by two and a half on the road. So pick your poison money line or plus two and a half. I'm picking the Dolphins to win this game. I'm going Dolphins 27-17. When you're looking at some of the worst defenses in the league, uh, we need to start talking, of, you know, start talking about Miami because I think the Chiefs. I had it up where at about four hundred twenty point like eight yards, something like that, allowed. The Dolphins are at four thirty two point eight. Like that, that defense is that defense pretty bad with those corners that they have. That's it's a little surprising. So I'm honestly, I'm gonna go with the, I'm gonna go with the Falcons. Falcons on this one, I think they're gonna be able to put up points with a uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, Calvin Ridley. I'm going to go uh, 20, 24-20 victory for Atlanta. The Giants hosting the Carolina Panthers. Um, Giants, I think, have a huge questionable list. I got to. Oh, yeah. I got to probably look like one of those, full those old ancient Roman scrolls that you'd see in movies and mm-hmm. stuff. They pull. That's pretty much their injury report, yeah. it feels like. Um, I know that they're anticipating Saquon not playing. Let's. Holy crap. Saquon, questionable. Kenny Galladay, questionable. Kadarius Tony, questionable. Evan Ingram, questionable. Sterling Shepard, questionable. Darius Slayton, questionable. Escape John Ross, questionable. Sam Anyone Beals, else? Cornerback. Oh, there's, there's another one. Caden Smith. Can we get another one? Questionable. Can we get another one? Or is that it of the list? Andrew Thomas, out. Make it even better. CJ Board, injured reserve. Ben Bredson, questionable. Um, October 18th, Danny Shelling, questionable. Ellerson Smith, IR. <laughs> Holy crap. And, the, and they want to kick Joe Judge out as a head coach when he his whole offense is questionable. <laughs> <laughs> What's he supposed to do? What? <laughs> What's he supposed to do? I mean, holy crap. And then. <laughs> Good luck. Um. And the only reason I'm thinking about this is because Sam Darnold's been playing really bad, but he also had a really good drive in that Vikings game. I'm going to go with Carolina. Uh, Giants are going to fall to own five at home, bro. Own five. Carolina, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go ugly score here. I'm going to go 26 to 16. 26 to 16. I don't know how it's possible. Maybe a couple missed like PATs. I don't know. 26-16. I'm going ugly <laughs> score because it's going to be an ugly game. And yeah. Xavier, for uh, attending that game, you're crazy. I told him. This is like his third or fourth Giants game he's attending. I'm like, why? Why? Why waste your money? Yeah. You're just going to leave at halftime. 20,000 yeah. fans, I think it was, left at halftime against the Rams. Ooh. They didn't no, even yeah, stick around to see one of the Super Bowl teams. Yeah. Well, he was getting yeah, mollywhopped. Kind of happens like that. Yep. But yeah, I'm gonna go with the Panthers as Panthers as well. Just like you said, the injury report, Panthers defense, the way they're playing. I just I just I think they're gonna be too much. Let's go twenty seven to thirteen. Okay. Fair enough. The Bengals head to Baltimore to face the Ravens. Ravens sitting at five and one could be sitting at four and two. The Bengals do sit at four and two, could be sitting at five and one. Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson, Jamar Chase versus Mark Andrews or Hollywood Brown. Pick your poison. And like I said, the the Bengals defense has been pretty darn good this year. You know what the issue is, though? They haven't faced Lamar Jackson yet. 
Can't, you cannot prepare for that guy. But they did manage to go to overtime against a Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Kyle, Ooh, I think I'm going to go with the Bengals. Not a terrible decision. I'm going to go with the Bengals. I'm going to go Bengals 30-27. I think Joey Burrow is going to show that he ain't no joke, and it's going to show that the Bengals could be playoff contenders, and not only playoff contenders, division contenders. I'm I'm still going to go with Baltimore, but I think the Bengals are going to put up a a great down, and even though they lose, it's still going you know still going to show the Bengals ain't nothing to laugh at. They're going to be a tough a tough team, a tough out if they make playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'll go with the Ravens in a in a close uh, 27-23 victory. It's going to be fun to watch these two quarterbacks. These, these quarterbacks are the I want to say the future because more they're the, the quarterbacks they are, are the, the pres- they're the present as well. They're present, you know? but they're also the future. They yeah, like, I mean, with is, Brady, Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers still in league, they're the future. Yeah, this. I mean, it's gonna be this is gonna be a fun, fun game to watch because you got explosive weapons on both sides. And of not the ball. to say that Roethlisberger is lethal or anything, but I mean, he is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, and he is one of the all you know top twenty five great quarterbacks to ever play the game. He's still yeah. in there. Um, Raiders hosting the Eagles, and I was really thinking about taking the Eagles because the Eagles fan base travels really well. But I think a lot of people are forgetting that Zach Ertz was traded to the Arizona Cardinals. And Zach Ertz, right there with Devontae Smith, has been one of the reliable guys in offense. So now I think that the Raiders, we've seen how they uh, regrouped as a team following the John Gruden incident. They're at home. Their defense has been playing pretty spectacular, especially Max Crosby rushing to the quarterback. I am going to go with the Raiders in this one. And the Raiders are only fair by, I believe, three points. But I think it's going to be more than that. And until the day that I'll pick the Eagles to win is when Miles Sanders, who I think is the best (laughs) offensive (laughs) weapon on the Eagles, gets the ball and it's not out of the shotgun and he's not always running to his left. It could be out of the pistol, (laughs) something different, like. Just give the man, give the man the ball. (laughs) Like, like, what the hell are we doing? But yeah, I'm going to go with Raiders and I'm going to go 24, 21. So I guess I'll take the Eagles to cover the spread. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, I'll go with the Raiders as well. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting because how Kari has been putting up some pretty good numbers so far, so far this season. But the Eagles are only giving up 223 yards uh, uh, passing. The rush defense, both these teams are not the greatest. <laughs> it's 135 yards uh, allowed. You think that matters Eagles. to the Eagles? You think that matters to the Eagles? I mean, you'd hope so. <laughs> for Miles Sanders' sake and probably fantasy uh, people that have him for their sanity. Okay, let's leave. Let's leave our hope. fantasies out of this. Let's no, I'm saying I don't. Ha- I don't have him. But I'm no, just saying you, you'd hope. Ooh, uh, hate to see it. But I'm gonna go. I'll go with the fair. I'll go with the. I'll go with the Raiders. I'll go uh, win. Win by seven. I'll go twenty-seven to twenty. Would you like to take a guess on the spread for the next game? The Rams and the Lions game in LA. Okay, I'm not. I haven't seen it. I'm not gonna. I'll look up. Uh, fourteen. I'll go with close sixteen. Rams are Rams are favored by sixteen. But can I tell you something? (laughs) Sure. 
What is it? Hmm. I got a big upset alert. I'm going with the Detroit Lions in Los Angeles. Jared, Jared Goff, this is your game. You got this. Jared Goff has shown glimpse, and we'll see how much Dan Campbell rip into him about that fourth down play. And we can talk on Monday, and I could be completely wrong. I'm probably 99% going to be completely wrong, and those who are listening are probably laughing at me, and that's okay. Because I know but I am I'm, right now. Because I'm going to believe in Jared Goff. I'm going to go Jared Goff in the Lions. Final score, 27-26. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's going to be a smoke. Or absolute, sorry, I almost swore there. Absolute smoke show, I think, by the Rams. I think it... I think this is going to be straight up all good. I think I was, I'll just say a, a quick 35 13 victory for the Rams. <laughs> I'd be, hey. sh- I'd be surprised if this was close and I'd be shocked if they, if the Lions ultimately won the game, <laughs> I'd be very surprised. All right. Very, so the next game surprised. is the Cardinals and the Texans. Would you like to take a guess on that spread? Oh, unfortunately I did see it. So I do, I do know what it is. What is it? <laughs> 17 and a half, according to the ESPN app on this tablet. Cardinals final score 35 0. I'll just go this. You know, I'll give them I'll give them seven points. Let's just go That's 30. Let, you know, let's go 38 7. Let's just have the Cardinals score, you know, a couple more points. Okay. I mean, just let's move on. This is Texans suck. Buccaneers. Did you see that spread? It's also on the thing. So, yes, I do. Damn it. I'm trying to quiz you here. Damn it. Well, the, well, the problem is I have everything. It's Damn all right it. there. I got to I got to not look. All right, Buck. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't really matter cuz like after the Bucks and Bears, I mean, it's Sunday night, Monday night, but Bucks are favored by 12 and a half. I'm I'm trying to think spread-wise cuz I know the Bucks are going to win, but I'm trying to think of like Justin Fields dishing the ball in the air. I mean, they haven't really done much of that uh in Chicago. They're one of the lower passing ring teams. Um, in football, but even then, I think with the inexperience, I think the Bucks are just gonna be able to have their way with Justin Fields, and I think the Bucks win by more than twelve and a half. I'm gonna go Buccaneers. I'm gonna go twenty eight ten. Yeah, I mean, what the strength of the offense for the Bears is rushing the. Bucks are giving up 54.8 yards rushing a game. Without David Montgomery Wild. and potentially Damian Williams or Darrell Williams, whichever Williams guy it is. Yeah, so I just think this is going to be one of those uh, ugly, ugly games. And, I, you know, Justin Fields can typically use his legs because he's one of the faster players in the league and one of the faster quarterbacks in the league, obviously. But you got Devin White on the other team, on that defense. Yeah. Good, good luck. Good, 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 good luck. So I think the Bucks are gonna are gonna beat them up pretty bad. And I'll say, I'll go, uh, I'll go thirty eight to twenty. I'll go this a pretty ugly uh, stomping by the Bucks. Sunday night football is in San Fran, Kyle. You got the San Francisco 49ers hosting the Indianapolis Colts. I'm trying to figure out who the quarterback here. I don't know. Who, I don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo are both questionable. I don't know. 
I don't know, but Carson Wentz has been hitting, and I think with T.Y. Hilton back, it was it was huge for the Colts last week. Um, we'll see if Darius Leonard and Xavier Rhodes play. They're questionable. T.Y. Hilton's questionable, but I think he is going to play no matter what. I I'm going to go with the Colts. The Colts had a great chance to beat the Ravens. They kind of blew it. I think they could seal the deal, though. The Niners' defense hasn't been all that spectacular, although they're only allowing 348 yards on defense to um, Indy's nearly 380. Yep. (sighs) It's a tough game to pick, I feel like. It is. I'm going to go with the Colts. I'm going to go with the Colts, and I'm going to go close score. I'm going to go... 24-21 24-21 final score. I'm going to go – I'll go with the with the Niners on that, and I'll be honest, I don't feel confident about that, but I just – I don't know. I just feel like – I just – I feel the I feel the Niners with a, a, clo- a close – say – I wouldn't say medium score. I'll go 20, a 24-21 victory for the Niners. Wouldn't surprise me if it was one of those, you know, last-second field goal things. And Monday night's game is the Saints versus the Seahawks. You're not missing much, really. I mean, I don't know. Jameis Winston versus Geno Smith. Woo! Yeah. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Saints are four-point favorites in Seattle. Oh, God. It's so you- hard because, you know, you really, whenever there's a game in Seattle, you always have to take in consideration that fan base because they're literally the 12th man. It is so hard to hear in there. It's unbelievable. But so I hopped up on Starbucks. That's why they're so loud. <laughs> All that caffeine. Yeah, that could be part of it. That could be part of it. Um, I closed out my app already. Like I'm not even looking at like the numbers. I saw that the Saints only had like 307 like total offensive yards, but like yeah. the Seahawks give up like 450 yards on defense. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Saints because maybe this is the game that Kamara goes off. I'm going to go. Dodgers have a 3-2 lead because Chris Taylor put the Dodgers head in a three-run blast. Ooh, plot twist. I'm going to go with the Saints. I'm going to go 17-14. This is a, this is a interesting game. I feel like if the, if you're going to see an offensive a uh, very good offensive game from the Saints. This has to be it because the Seahawks are allowing 447 yards on defense. Yeah. Not good. Close. No. <laughs> like, excuse me, try not to burp. Excuse me, burp, 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 burp. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the Saints, Saints on this one. I just feel like eh, Gino, no, just no, <laughs> that's it. And then 33, 20 victory for the Saints. Oh, so you're going pretty high scoring for the twelfth man. Yeah. The over under is forty two and a half. The over under is forty two and a half. Kyle's going way over that forty two and a half. Yeah. And and I think this is also because we're gonna see a big time combo of good Jameis, bad Jameis in one game. You're gonna see Heckle. What about Gino? You're just gonna see bad as Gino. (laughs) You're not gonna see WBU Gino at all. If we do cool <laughs> i just would be surprised i'd be very very surprised but hey you never know crazy things have happened this is true you got tyler lockett and dk you never know 
All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes for this second episode recorded. Maybe I should start opening up episodes like episode two of the Sportscape podcast version. Very over the top, just for like no reason at all. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sports Cave episode yeah. three via podcast. <laughs> exactly. Just for no reason at all. Just be over the top. It'd be funny. You're like dimming out of the picture right now. You're like slowly creeping out of the picture right now. Sliding down the chair right now. Try not to fall out. I of wish I could. Do you hear how loud my chair is? Listen. Oh, yeah. Your chair, your chair sounds like my uh, my knee sometime at work. Like, oh. Like, do you know how much I just want to sit back in my chair just for a quick second? But I can't because then when I come back up, it, like if I go slow, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. You but do then know, if I do uh, fast, it's. Yeah. You do know WD-40 is a thing, right? Shut up. Maybe a new chair is a thing. <laughs> well, all right, y'all. We're, I'm going to stop wasting y'all time. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure to share this social media platforms to your to your parents. Uh, mail it out. Email addresses, whatever. Share this Spotify link and get the word passed around that the Sports Cave is officially on Spotify. We're working on Apple Podcasts. I don't know what's going on there. I got to take a look. But I'm working on it. When I get in on there, you'll see. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I'm Robbie. That's Kyle. This is thank Sports Cave presented by Retro Sports Network. And unlike Aaron Boone, who is in, we are out.